One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Woo! What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode eight of the Wolf's Den podcast. I hope you had a great 4th of July. And what I mean by great is maybe the best that you can under these current circumstances. The more important part is that I hope you got to spend time with family and you had good times. And for those of you who didn't, I hope you were staying safe and making good decisions out there because, you know, some people for some reason are incapable of doing that. And I don't know why, but that's just the world that we live in. And speaking of 4th of July, a food that you usually used to have on 4th of July is hamburgers and and hot dogs. And, And speaking of hot dogs, Mr. Joseph Chestnut, a legendary man, a man who has won previously 12 Nathan's Hot Dogs championships, competed in 2020 under completely different circumstances, masks and everything before the contest for competing for a 13th championship. What did he do? He went into his environment. He dominated. He ate about 74 hot dogs and he got the 13th championship. This man needs to be on your wall somewhere. He needs to be idolized. The fact he has one of the most unique digestive systems and stomachs I've ever seen. And, and congratulations to Mr. Joey Chestnut, a 13-time Nathan's Hot Dog world champion. So hope everyone had a great 4th of July. But we need to get right into it because this week, for this episode, I am back alone, back in the rocking chair, in the den. And we've got a lot of news to talk about. And one thing that I haven't talked about on this podcast in a long, long time is world wrestling and entertainment. Now, say what you want about their decisions of their wrestlers wearing masks in the audience. That's neither here nor there as of right now. What we do need to start off with is talking about a legend. And that legend is The Undertaker. And The Undertaker, in a sentence I can describe of Jordan Wolf, who is The Undertaker? The Undertaker is a loyal soldier in the WWE. He is a man who has been competing in wrestling or wrestling since the 1980s. He debuted in WWE in 1995 in Survivor Series and has been wrestling since 2020. How insane is that? That's just not possible. Like, it's hard as a wrestler. You can't imagine of wrestling that much. And The Undertaker, he, he accomplished everything he wanted to. And I'm saying this because, the, as I've told you before, WWE produced a documentary called The Undertaker's Last Ride. It's essentially their version of The Last Dance. It's been so good. They have five parts of it. You have his wife, Michelle McCool, as like the voice of reason, and you're seeing a different side of The Undertaker, and you're seeing what he's really like and why he's so committed to playing the character that he is, and which is someone who is stoic, who doesn't do a lot of things outside of the media until now. And now he feels like the character has run its course. And done its time. And, and that fifth episode, that final episode, towards the end of it, The Undertaker announced that this is the time the cowboy rides off into the sunset. And what he means by that phrasing is he says he's retiring. And everybody's first reaction is congratulations and, and or shock. And I am shocked because this is not the way I thought The Undertaker would do it. I, think there, I thought there'd be more of a pomp and circumstance. And yes, WWE, once they heard about it, they did a whole tribute for the first hour of SmackDown to The Undertaker. They had all their superstars standing on the podium and saying, thank you, Taker, da-da-da-da-da. But, you know, The Undertaker is someone who did everything by the book and everything right, and he deserves all the accolades and recognition that he can get. And he announced his retirement. And in my opinion, yes, I think Ric Flair is the greatest 
superstar of all time. 16 championships, the character, everything. He is so respected in my book. But The Undertaker is a close, close, close second. Everything he did, everything he did to that character, the way he thinks about wrestling, his mind for the business is so apropos and, and so legendary that you, I can't say more than that. So The Undertaker announces retirement. Now, do I believe it? All of us, everyone, when you're doing your dream, it's so hard to step away from something that you love because you know we always say that when you go into something that you love and if you love it, then it never feels like a day of work, right? And I'm sure it never felt like a day of work for The Undertaker. Sometimes, you know, you have your ups and downs and you complain. And everybody complains, right? That, that's pretty much assumed. But with The Undertaker, I'm sure he loved everything that he did. And now he's announcing his retirement. He feels like he accomplished everything he could in the wrestling business. He's 52 years old, even though there's a rumor he signed some 20-year deal in 2019, which is cr absolutely insane. But I wish him nothing but the best. And in, in my gut, do I think he comes back for one more match? If the price is right, if the wrestler is right, like if it's at the caliber of AJ Styles or even higher than that, don't be surprised if he comes back again. Because in wrestling, retirements are usually followed by this statement. Never say never. And with The Undertaker, that's exactly what you need to say. But I wish him nothing but the best for him and his family. And, and he has just done nothing but give good things to the business of the wrestling world. So congratulations to The Undertaker. The Undertaker has retired. But now we are going to move on to the current product. And what I have done this week is I have varied up each show of Raw and XT and SmackDown. And I'm going to talk about my highlights, which are the good stuff, and my what the hells. Because sometimes, yes, in wrestling, there are what the hells from a normal person in, instead of a hardcore fan like myself. So we will start with Monday Night Raw. And my first highlight is the beginning of the show and the double contract signing. Why do I say that? Now, when we usually talk about double contract signings, it's usually a horrible physical calamity like CM Punk said in his, his Pride Bomb promos way back in 2011 that the wrestlers end up getting into. And when I saw this, I'm like, this is going to be so ridiculous. But when Raw came on air, we had Samoa Joe, who was a god. I love Samoa Joe. And now he's moved on to commentary full-time because of his age, injuries, wh whatever. He is so right for the job. He is so good at it. And he has moved into commentary full-time. He was moderating this. And we just see, like, all-out chaos in the ring. And I'm like, oh, oh, this is not what I expected WWE to do. I thought it was going to be terrible. I thought it was not going to work. Then we have short promos between the Extreme Rules matches between Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre and Sasha Banks and Asuka. We have short promos about that. And then we got into more physical calamity. And... WWE usually does one contract signing. We have the wrestlers do a face-off like you'd see in boxing or the UFC or whatever. But this time, it was a double contract signing, both contract signings happening at the same time. I loved it. I think they went so outside the box here, and I think it really worked well to their dividends. So, good job. Um, it really worked well, and I can't wait for these two matches at the pay-per-view. And next is WWE has somehow managed – to make Ric Flair's comeback so low profile. And maybe I'm the only one that watches this that feels this way. But Ric Flair, as I just mentioned, is the greatest wrestler of all time, in my opinion. And he has come back, and he's now managing Randy Orton, who has brought back his legend killer game. And this is probably the best Randy Orton we have seen in at least four years. He is so on his game. He is so motivated. 
in his storyline. He is so on top of it. He, it's amazing watching Randy Orton right now. It's kind of a, a little bit of a renaissance, honestly. And Ric Flair is now going to kind of be his heel manager because we had Christian come back a couple weeks ago to defend Edge after Randy Orton kind of injured Edge during their greatest wrestling match ever with the torn triceps. And I wish Edge the best. We need to have a trilogy of their matches. This is not done yet. But what happened was Ric Flair was back at Raw randomly and he was talking to Charlotte, his daughter. Then he went to go talk to Christian and said, oh, you shouldn't do this. Randy's really dangerous. You really shouldn't do this. Christian kind of shook him off. He said, no, I have to do this. Even though I haven't competed in a match in the first time in six years, I'm going to do this. Christian went out there. Christian got low blowed by the dirtiest player in the game in Ric Flair. And Ric Flair is now a heel. So natural at it. Amazing talker. Even if he's 72 years old, I, I mean, this is so gung ho. I'm so on board with this. And he's going to be managing Randy Orton and Ric Flair. They're going to be the top heel duo on Monday Night Raw. And I don't think that's something I could have said in 2020, but it is something I am saying in 2020. So I can't wait to see where this goes. I am so excited to see Ric Flair and his influence on Raw. And speaking of influence, next we will talk about Bruce Pritchard's influence. And what I mean by that is that I talked about how Monday Night Raw was going to streamline their creative process, right? They're going to have one creative team in charge of all their shows. And I was skeptical about it because I love Paul Heyman. I think he's a genius. And Bruce Pitchard is going to take over. And, I, and he was in charge of SmackDown. And I thought that it was going to be a rye. And it's been the complete opposite. His influence on the show has been so needed. It's been a really good show. It's been so – its flow has been so sensible. Its decisions have been so logical. And Bruce Pitchard has really impressed me and done a great job in taking over Raw and really – a good job of really being in charge of the decisions and seeing where, where things go. So good job to Bruce Pritchard. I hope he continues to do what he's doing. And speaking of people doing things, we will now, another highlights is talking about manager's presence. And I think in today's wrestling, a manager is such a lost art. And I always talk about how NXT is head and shoulders better than Raw and SmackDown. And I think it still is. But one thing that I think I give the, the, the edge to and raw over NXT is manager presence. And now we have MVP who has just come back and has put his, his touch all over Monday night raw. Now he's managing Bobby Lashley. And that partnership has been awesome. He was maybe managing Shelton Benjamin. That partnership is going to be awesome. He offered to manage Apollo Cruz and that fallout has been really good. So the manager influence on Monday night raw with Selena Vega and the way she can kind of, manipulate her not really well here's the thing mvp basically he is living vicariously through his superstars he is so good at manipulating superstars to do what he wants that is exactly what we need on raw we've missed that for a long time we don't need an authority figure we just need a manager figure and that's exactly what we're doing and i love it i love it so that's what mvp is doing Zelina vega she's been so good as that female manager presence that you need kind of the motherly vibe of the group between Andrade and and Angel Garza and she's really good in her words and and really good at kind of carrying superstars who aren't really able to talk that's what she can do she can talk for them they don't need to talk Andrade and Angel Garza all they gotta do is just wrestle in the ring and, and do what they do and they're both really talented at what they do the next one obviously like I said Ric Flair I mean who better to be by your side than the greatest of all time and back you up in Ric Flair. Because now with him and Randy Orton, it's I'm the greatest of all time. 
but I think now that Randy Orton is the greatest wrestler of this generation. I mean, like, perfect, right? Perfect. So the Raw manager presence has been outstanding, and I hope we continue to see a little bit more and more and more of that. So my next highlight is, speaking of MVP, the MVP, Apollo Crews, Bobby Lashley stuff. That stuff has been awesome because, like I said, MVP wants to widespread his clients, right? He wants to get Apollo Crews to be one of his clients. And Apollo Crews is like, no, I, I see through your game. I don't really want to do it. Then we did see him take a bit of a heel turning and, and kind of beating Shelton Benjamin by using dirty tactics. But essentially, Apollo Crews is like, nope, I don't want you to be my manager. I'm going to do it my way. I am the champ. You are not. You have no titles. So that's essentially what happened here. And I, it's great because Bobby Lashley is finally breaking through that glass ceiling of full potential. And he's always someone who has the look, he has the appearance, he has the ability, but he's never had that like charismatic personality to where you're like, damn, like I want this guy to hold a title. He's always needed someone to kind of put him over that hump. And that's exactly what MVP is doing. That is like, I, I am now invested in Bobby Lashley more than I've ever been before. And that's something I probably couldn't have said a year ago. So this stuff has been great, and, and I can't wait for what to see what they do at Extreme Rules. The next stuff has been the Monday Night Messiah, Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio, Dominic, and Murphy. So essentially, like I explained before, Seth Rollins is considering himself the future, the leader of Monday Night Raw. He feels like he wants to take this generation of superstars under his lead, and he's doing that with Buddy Murphy as his disciple. And now... He feels that Rey Mysterio is sacrificing himself for the greater good. Kind of like a, a Christian ordained sort of gimmick, right? And this stuff has been also really outside the box and really cool because we've seen Dominic enter himself into the fray. That's Rey Mysterio's son. For those of you who haven't watched WWE as long as I have, he was on WWE TV way back in 2006 being battled over custody between the late great Eddie Guerrero and his father, actual father, Rey Mysterio. So, now Dominic is 2021 20, my age. He is jacked. He is so tall. He looks nothing like his father. He's going to be, I think he's going to be really good. If he can do the same stuff Rey Mysterio can with his size and athleticism, you got a superstar in my opinion, a rising superstar. So we're kind of carrying Dominic in there. We're having him be under his father. We're having his father be all angry and vitriolic after Seth Rollins smashing his face into a steel steps. So I love this. I, I can't wait to see where this goes for the next Monday Night Raws and Extreme Rules, which is the upcoming pay-per-view. So now, on to my what the hell. And I understand WWE's putting on a product for us, and that's more appreciative than more than you can ever know. But we don't have to go outside the box with everything. And what they're doing here is Extreme Rules. And when I think of Extreme Rules, I think of carnage, right? Tables, ladders, chairs, carnage, chaos. That is Extreme Rules. What's not Extreme Rules is Extreme Rules, the horror show. I think this tagline is utterly ridiculous. We don't really need it. We can just do tables, ladders, and chairs. Excuse me, tables, ladders, and chairs. That's what we need. And that's what we need to see as wrestling fans. We don't need horror. We don't need spookiness. It's not Halloween. You want to do a Halloween Havoc show? Do a Halloween Havoc show. Not this show. This is not what this is for. I understand you're trying to elevate yourself and take advantage of an opportunity of people being stuck inside. But... We're not, we don't need to do it this way. We don't need to do the horror, extreme rules, the horror show. This is not some Fright Night, Scary, The Purge type of movie. This is a wrestling show. I want to see wrestling. I want to see Carnage with tables, liars, and chairs. Tagline, utterly ridiculous. Now, also, 
the 24-7 championship stuff. Now, I love R-Truth. R-Truth is someone who, at this point in his career, is just like having the time of his life doing whatever the hell he's doing. He's making money. He's making songs. He has a family. All this stuff. But what WWE has done with this 24-7, it's gone a little bit too far for my liking. I, it's a little bit too ridiculous. And what I mean is Akira Tozawa, who is a Japanese wrestler, has ninjas. And I don't know if we're calling this Tozawa's time or Tozawa's team or whatever. Like, why is he dressed as a ninja? Why do we have ninjas? Why is that even there? Why did the Big Show come back to team up with the Street Profits, Viking Raiders, and our truth? Why, why is this happening? Like, why? Like, I understand the 24-7 championship is meant to happen in ridiculous things. Like, you can win it any place, any time. We see R-Truth recover it from Gronk's backyard when Gronk was creating the greatest TikTok of all time. Like, but there's a fine line here, and I don't think we need to go further than the ninjas. It's just a little bit too much for me, a little bit too weird. It's, uh, it's not really for me. So that's my second what the hell. My third what the hell is the Lana Natalia stuff. Now, Natalia is an extremely respected veteran female wrestler, right? Come from the Hart family, the sharpshooter from Bret Hart, everything. I like her. But her promos recently about having a phone call with Tyson Kidd, and I don't know what we're doing. We're having her destroy sets. We're, we're having her, like, have this, like, 13-year-old, oh, my God, I didn't get the toy I wanted, like, meltdown. Oh, my God, I didn't get the Apple Watch I wanted, meltdown. Like, what are we doing with her? And then we're having Lana like who's still married to Bobby Lashley, by the way, and Bobby Lashley saying, I want a divorce. I don't know where that's going, but we have Lana now managing Natalia, and I'm a bit kerfuddled or um, dumbfounded about it because I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what the purpose of Natalia's character is. Maybe she feels like people are dragging her down and she feels like she's great. I, I don't know, but what I do know is that Lana is going to probably be her manager and Lana has the most annoying personality ever, like ever. It's it, every time she speaks, I just want to turn off the television. Like it's that type of thing. So my, what the hell goes with this? I'll give it a chance, but we'll see where this goes. My fourth, what the hell is Ruby riot. So Ruby riot came back from injury. I think she has a lot of potential and she can speak and she's better than you might think she is. She's green hair. She came back from injury and she just randomly disbanded from the riot squad, right? It was her, it was Sarah Logan, who's now released and actually today announced pregnant. So congratulations to her and Eric. Very good news. And Liv Morgan. And they just randomly disbanded, right? So now what's happening is that we're just saying, oh, well, after Liv Morgan beat Liv, um, Ruby Riot five times, we don't know what to do with Ruby Riot. Now we're going to have the Iconics attack Ruby Riot, and Ruby Riot just randomly turned into a good guy and probably team up again with Liv Morgan because we have no idea what to do with them. This whole Cartesian circle, like whatever you want to call it roundabout, like, Oh, it makes my head spin. And, and for that, I say, what the hell? I honestly think we should carried on with Ruby Riot's bad character a little bit more. I, I don't think we need to change it, but I'm not the decision maker here. That's what happened. But raw was a really good episode and I only had a few, what the hells. And that's just me being a little bit nitpicky, but now we will move on to the NXT. And what NXT did this week, and they just continue to impress me, is something from the Attitude Era they brought back, or the Ruthless Aggression Era, called the Great American Bash, which happened way back in 2004, 2005. And on the heels of 4th of July, they're like, you know what? Let's go out there. Let's do it. It makes all the sense in the world. So basically, this was an important show to kind of set some storylines up and really set some future uh, matches up. 
And the first match that we had was a fatal four-way number one contenders match for the NXT Women's Championship. And it was Tegan Knox versus Dakota Kai versus Candice LeRae versus Mia Yim, the HBIC. So what happened in this match is that Knox ended up facing her rival Kai after Kai did all that stuff way back at NXT and War Games turning on her in the final two. Then Knox hit the Molly go round. Excuse me, I'm sorry. And the Molly go round into the shiniest wizard. And she was able to get revenge on Tegan Knox and her heavy Raquel Gonzalez. So, no, excuse me, not Kai. Tegan Knox won the match. And she's going to face Io Shirai in a couple weeks, I believe. But I love this decision. I think this match is going to be a home run. And Tegan Knox, with the injury she had with tearing her ACL twice, coming all the way back, now getting a championship opportunity, it, it, it's amazing. Well done. Bravo. Everything makes sense here. And I'm really excited to see their match between her and Io Shirai. The second match. So it was decent. It was a, it was a decent match. It was Timothy Thatcher, who's been this new, like, heel, like, teacher gimmick that's interesting. I didn't think that's what WWE would do with him, but it, it, I think it works better than you might think against the bruiser from Boston and Oni Lorkin. So what happened was essentially Timothy Thatcher, this was just to basically build him up and up and up, right? After he turned on Matt Riddle and Matt Riddle going to the main roster. Thatcher defeated Lorkin via his Fujiwara armbar. So Timothy Thatcher continues to climb up the ranks at NXT and we'll, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. So Match number three. This was easily the weakest match of the card, but it was Rhea Ripley, who is awesome, a superstar. This is my brutality, is the theme song that she goes by. And yeah, well said. So she faces Aaliyah, who's this kind of up and down superstar who is with this manager by the name of Robert Stone. So it's like if you were in college, have you ever seen a guy who tries to sell you knockoff coffee and you just can't take him seriously even though he maybe wears a suit and has his hair all combed and looks the part, but you just can't take him seriously? That is the essential definition of Mr. Robert Stone, the Robert Stone brand or whatever he wants to do. You just can't take the guy seriously. He does a really good job of playing that. And, and people, when you see him try to wrestle and stuff, the first instinct you have is to laugh at his face. So that is the definition of Robert Stone. And that was this match. It was a handicap match. And Rhea Ripley, once again, just continues to look so dominant and so forceful in every match that she wrestles. And she defeated Aaliyah and Stone in a double submission. And it just looked so painful and so good that I want to see Rhea Ripley work her way back to the top after losing to Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania. So the next match was a strap match between Roderick Strong, the Messiah of the Backbreaker of the Undisputed Era, against this creepy, eerie, disturbing character that wrestling has missed for a long time in Dexter Loomis. Like, every time you see, I see him on my screen, I just kind of get chills. Like, he's that type of character. He doesn't do too many outside of wrestling interviews. Like, he, he's really committed to this, and he's really committed to making this legit character. So, Roderick Strong against Dexter Loomis. And Loomis, again, this was to kind of build up him as well. He defeated Strong via submission. And what better way to build him up than to defeat a guy that has won championships in NXT like Roderick Strong. So he kind of freaked Roderick Strong out throughout in this entire buildup. I liked it. I thought it was a pretty decent match. And we'll see what happens next for the both of them. Match number five. This was the home run match of the entire Great American Bash. By far. By far. 
and it was the NXT Women's Championship main event. And it was Sasha Banks, who has been on all three shows. And usually I'm against having wrestlers go on all three shows, but her and Sasha Banks and Bailey have been so entertaining that I'm completely okay with them being on all three shows. They're great, obnoxious heels. It works so well. So it was Sasha Banks against Io Shirai for the NXT Women's Championship. So this finish was really creative, and I liked it. And I, we usually get distraction finishes and roll-up finishes, but I like this one. So it was Shirai locked Banks into her finisher, the crossface, and the tag team championship got thrown into the ring to distract the ref. Then out of nowhere, her Japanese compadre, Asuka, appeared from under the ring to hit Banks with some green mist and help Shirai get the W. And at the end of the pay-per-view, you see Shirai and Asuka stand tall, holding their championships up high, with next to each other in the center of the ring, saying, Io Shirai, this is my show now. This is my brand. Loved it. Loved it. What better way to elevate Io Shirai than to have her face a bona fide super wrestler in Sasha Banks? So great match, fantastic stuff, and NXT continues to hit the ball out of the park when it comes to creativeness, geniusness, wrestling, everything. Just get, I love NXT. So we will now move on to our last WWE segment. And that is our SmackDown highlights and what the hell. And there were a lot more highlights than what the hell because the first two matches of SmackDown went a long time and I'm completely okay with it. As the first match was between new SmackDown superstar, Mr. The Bro, Matt Riddle, against John Morrison of Miz and Morrison. Hey, hey, ho, ho. That's right. So essentially... Matt Riddle was kind of called out by Baron Corbin and Baron Corbin, who is King Corbin was like, you have to go through a series of challenges to face me. So essentially John Morrison, the Miz come out and this match was just like, wowsome is the word I'm looking for because John Morrison did some set of moves that I've never seen done in a wrestling match in a sequence before. And, and he just continues to impress me despite being at the age that he's at. He's in such good physical condition and it feels like he's kind of there, and I want him to be used more after this match. So, essentially, Riddle was able to get the win, and which is good because you need to build him up. He's a new rising superstar on SmackDown. That's what you need to do, right? It makes sense. I want to see Morrison do, bounce back from here, but the match was fantastic, and it went a long time, but it was fantastic. The second match was even better, and it was between the class. It was between one of my favorite wrestlers and one of the best wrestlers in the world and AJ Styles, and one of the best technical wrestlers in the pl- on the planet, in Drew Gulak. And essentially, AJ Styles got the win, but I didn't see the match because I was probably in a backyard with someone's, and I'm mad that I didn't see it because it was a classic match and another AJ Styles-Daniel Bryan-like match that you don't usually see on a, house, on a WWE weekly programming show. So fantastic job between the both of them. And my third highlight is Sasha and Bayley. Now, these two have been a shining light through the darkness that has been this entire situation being in the performance center. They've been so entertaining. They've been on all three brands. They continue to piss people off. They continue to be annoying. They're almost doing it to the point where people want to start rooting for them. And I don't know if you want to do that, but they've been so good. So good. And I love Bailey's new character. The transformation has been so mesmerizing being from this hugging, lovable, like how can you hate Bailey ever person to, I hate Bailey so much. She is so obnoxious. I want to see her lose the title. And I just hope we get a match eventually between Sasha and Bailey because if we can get something of semblance that we got in NXT, you're going to be amazed by what you see by these two women in the ring. So 
now we will move on to my what the hell. And it continues to be the Jeff Hardy, Sheamus stuff. Now, I like both of these guys a lot. They're really established, credible wrestlers. But we don't need to continue to do this alcohol thing. It's so played out. I don't like the angle WWE has taken. I know Jeff Hardy is probably okay with it, but I don't like it because we had Sheamus Skype in whatever and dressed all fancy, drinking at his own bar in his home. And then we had Jeff Hardy being offered a drink by a innocent bartender. And then Jeff Hardy held up the drink and spoiled the drink all over the bartender's head. And it's like, do we really need to see this? Like, what is the point of this? Like, it's not necessary. I think we could take just a completely different angle here. And I know everyone's trying to be gung-ho and, and try to do something different, but this is not the different I'm talking about. I want like creative matches and, 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 and like kind of more personal. And I'm all here for like personal selling in wrestling because personal drama does sell money. It does. It's proven, but not in this way, not bringing up someone's personal problems and putting it into their storyline. That's not what we need to see. So it's a little bit too close to home for me. And that is it. We had a lot of wrestling to get through and we got through, but now we'll move on to a sport that continues to do, um, make headlines in good and bad or bad ways. But the first one is going to be talking about is a player who decided to opt out of the 2020 season because of COVID concerns. And that is Mr. Ian Desmond. He said he wanted to opt out. He just didn't feel like it was right for his family and his health. And I respect that decision completely. But what's even cooler about his decision is he doesn't just want to stop there. He wants to work in Sarasota, Florida, and he wants to kind of revitalize the game of baseball. And I love that. I love that. When a player that you've gotten everything that you've wanted in your own life, and you just go out and you kind of give back to the community, I'm like, what's better than that? So hats off to Ian Desmond. I hope you're staying safe and being healthy out there. Second one will be Tyson Ross. He's also going to opt out. His mom is a doctor. You know, his mom is a nurse, excuse me. His dad is a doctor. He's a free agent. They just didn't feel like it was right. And his brother, Joe Ross, is sitting out. So Tyson Ross, I respect your decision. I hope you're staying safe and being healthy out there. Third one, a name I definitely didn't expect to hear, is David Price, who just got traded from the Red Sox this offseason to the Dodgers, along with his compadre, Mookie Betts. He wants to opt out. He just doesn't feel like it's safe enough to play. I do respect his decision. I don't want to hear it from Red Sox fans saying, oh, the trade's working out better for us now because he's not playing. Let's Come on now. See the bigger picture. Understand it. Appreciate it. That's what I'm going to say about that. The fourth name that another kind of big name that opted out was Felix Hernandez. He just signed with the Braves after being a Mariner, maybe for life. That did not happen. He signed with the Braves, but he's, he said he just doesn't feel it's right right now to play. Respect his decision. King Felix, I love watching you pitch. You are a legend. So speaking of more news that's getting elevated, we've seen in our community now, right? After everything that's happened with COVID, systemic racism, everything, we've seen society kind of say, you know what? It's time to move a little bit more progressive. And then one of the ways that we're seeing potentially that happen is with sports names. The first name we're seeing is with the Indians. Now, Say what you want about it. I, I could see why it's a bit controversial, but the manager of the Indians, Terry Francona, says he wants the name to be changed. So where this goes from here, I don't know, but it looks like we could be seeing a, a, a name change in Cleveland. Do they change it to the tribe? Do they change it to the Cleveland speakers, which I've heard? I don't know. But the Indians want to change their name, and they want to be a part 
of this revitalization of the American way. So respect for that. Now we will move on to my favorite team in the New York Yankees, one of the most hated teams in sports. And GM Brian Cashman said, barring any setbacks, Aaron Judge, Aaron Hicks, James Paxton, Giancarlo Stanton are good to go for the MLB restart. So if there's one thing that's positive about everything is the time off helped all these players recoup from their injuries and be able to start the season on time. So I'm so glad to hear this news. I can't wait to see the Yankees get back on the field and Garrett Cole to pitch night one. That's going to really excite me and ignite me. So now the bad news about the Yankees is that it wasn't only good things, unfortunately. It was some bad things. And on the second day of camp, the Yankees were doing a simulated game with Masahiro Tanaka and Giancarlo Stan. Tanaka pitched a slider. The slider did not break the way it wanted to. And what happened is that Giancarlo Stanton, who's been on the other side of this, he's been hit in the face before, unfortunately, by Mike Fires, and he's came back from it. Awesome. He unfortunately hit Masahiro Tanaka with the line drive off his bat about 112 miles an hour. It was so scary, right in Tanaka's back of his head. And Tanaka was down. Everyone was scared. And he was able to get off on his own power and walk with his two trainers. And the Yankees have said Tanaka has dodged a bullet because he went to the hospital. He was released that night. And he is set to have a mild concussion and will probably be ready by like week one or two of the season. So unbelievable. I mean, what, what a miraculous recovery from Masahiro Tanaka, because that could have been so much worse than it was. So I wish him the best. And what I am going to call people out for is that how dare you make a joke about it? Are you, are you kidding me? Like I've seen stuff like Giancarlo Stanton hold my beer, all that stuff. Like, no. No, this is a real situation. You never make a joke about something like this. I'm sure all the Red Sox fans are like, oh, sitting in their basement, stained shirts, like getting ready to take their shot at the Yankees. Like, oh, this is it. This is it. I've been waiting for this. This is the shot I'm going to take. No, nope. That's not how you handle it. You need to have respect and class for players trying to play for you during this incredibly complicated time. And the fact that I'm seeing Twitter accounts taking shots at Giancarlo Stan for saying it's his fault, when how the hell is he going to control where the hell he hits the ball? How does that make sense? When making jokes about it, like, that's not okay. That is not okay. These players are risking their lives for you. They honestly are risking their lives. And we've seen more positive tests from Freddie Freeman and Miguel Sano and so forth. So to make a joke about it is extremely insensitive and uncalled for. So that's what I have to say about that. And my next MLB news is the minor league baseball season is canceled. I feel awful for those players who work their butts off to play and they have the passion for the game. It's just, it makes all the sense in the world. It doesn't feel right to play in minor leagues right now with all the travel and more kind of, I'd say laissez-faire that it is an MILB, excuse me, than it is the MLB. So it makes all the sense. I am so disappointed for the players I feel bad for them I I just hope that they get to find something else for now and hopefully they can come back in 2021 and continue to do the things they love and try to trace their dreams so unfortunately that happened we also had a trade surprisingly that's something that's kind of flew under the surface here but we did have a trade and again it involves a Yankees player and Jorge Mateo who used to be in their farm system kind of had some off the field issues He, he had the talent but he never kind of reached the peak that he was supposed to reach So the Yankees shipped him off to the A's, and then the Padres were able to acquire Jorge Mateo for the A's for a player to be named later. So 
this is different, right? Because there's no minor leaguers anymore. So Jorge Mateo is going to be on the 60-player pool. He's going to play for the Padres major league team. So he's going to give that depth to Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado. So another news is that the Cardinals are going to replace the Yankees in the Field of Dreams game against the White Sox on August 13th. As sad as I am to see the Yankees not be playing in this, because I think this is such an awesome concept, because that movie is so powerful and legendary in the baseball world. I love it. I love Field of Dreams. I love what Kevin Costner does in it. I love the whole premise behind it. It makes so much sense. It makes a lot of sense to have the Cardinals play because geographically the Cardinals and White Sox are close to each other and travel purposes. That's why they're playing. If COVID didn't happen, the Yankees would be playing. So makes all the sense in the world. The Yankees don't really want to risk it. I don't blame them at this point. So Cardinals, White Sox, August 13th, Iowa, book it in your calendars. You're going to want to see that game. So also the MLB also canceled it's all-star game, which was supposed to be in LA, but the Dodgers are going to host in 2022. So again, makes sense. There's no reason to have players travel to LA all together to play in the all-star game. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense at this point with all the uncertainty in the world. So good decision in the MLB. Again, disappointing because the all-star game, the MLB, I think is the best one. I think the circumstances and the things they play for are so much better than every other sport. You're playing for home field advantage in the World Series where other sports are playing for charity, and that's not a bad thing. It's just that, like, the stakes I like are a bit higher in all-star games in the MLB than it is in all the other three sports. So that is it for my MLB portion of the Wolf's Den podcast. We will now move on to the NBA. As the NBA, the first news I have here is finalizing an eight non-playoff team bubble in Chicago. So they're doing exactly what they're doing for the – 22 playoff team format, but now they're, excuse me, now they're doing it for the eight non-playoff teams in Chicago. And the teams are able to play against each other and practice. And I like this because you're, even though, yes, there are risks of all them being there together and contracting the virus, I like it because you're giving these teams a chance to do something and practice and work out and be with each other socially distance, of course. So I like this. I think it's another good decision by Adam Silver in the NBA and good on them for creating this. So a team who has been dealt terrible cards because of the COVID-19 circumstances is the Brooklyn Nets. And they are one of the 22 teams that are going to be in Orlando for the NBA restart. And players that aren't playing for them will be Kyrie because of injury, KD because of injury, DeAndre Jordan because he tested positive, and Spencer Dinwiddie because he tested positive. That's basically the Nets' best players right there, and they're all not playing. And it's nothing that they did. It just happened because of circumstances and the act of God. So, oh, it's so disappointing. And for the Nets, I'm rooting for them. I'm going to see how they do with the players that they have. I mean, Jared Allen's going to have to carry the way, and so is Karis LeVert. So we'll see what happens, but I feel awful for the Nets. We'll see what happens in with them. And it, it, you don't wish this upon anybody. So hopefully all these players get better and are staying safe and being healthy. So next, the NBA also is set to release 2K21. 2K, say what you want. It's good, bad. There are people don't like it. They like it, yada, yada. But we're going to focus on the cover athletes of 2K. And they named three of them. And the first one, is Dame time and Damian Lillard. He will be a cover athlete for 2K21. I love this because Damian Lillard, 
is an ascending superstar. He has been so consistent for the Blazers. He's put them back on the map. He got them all the way to the Western Conference Finals last year. So makes all the sense in the world. Hopefully he doesn't fall to the um, cover curse. Uh, maybe that's only for Madden, but good, good on the NBA for choosing him. The second one, this is a no-brainer. And Zion Williamson, he is the second cover athlete. He will be on the PS5 and Xbox X. So Zion looks even more freakish after working out during this stoppage. So Zion is your next marketing hub, right? The NBA is going to do everything they can to market Zion, make sure he is on billboards, posters, game covers, no brainer. He is the jackpot. He is your future of your league after LeBron leaves. Third cover athlete. Again, another sensible decision by the NBA, Kobe Bryant. And obviously we know, unfortunately, Kobe Bryant passed away and and there's so many things you can say, but this is a really nice way of honoring him. And I'm really glad he gets to be on it just for legendary purposes and things of that nature. I'm sure people are going to be really excited to buy the game with his face on it. So Damian Lillard, Zion and Kobe, all three athletes on the 2k series for 2k 21 go buy it. If you want to next news that we will have is Austin rivers. Now, we've had this thing. I've heard it from my good buddies, the Healthy Scratches podcast, about should there be an asterisk if you win a championship? And now we're starting to hear players kind of defend it, or not really defend it, but have their take and stance on it. And Austin Rivers essentially said, look, the whole thing about the asterisk is I think this is the toughest championship that you're going to win because you're asking players to come back after four months of being off and not having game rhythm, right? And come back and practice with everything going on on in the world with social justice and the disease and, and people's and the election and all that things going on. They're coming back, they're playing sports, they're risking their health. And he's saying, I think if you win a championship, this is the toughest championship to win. And it's a really good point. I think it's a very overlooked point And I think it's a good point. Now, there is, there is a legitimate argument that you could say, oh, well, you only played like 60 games or so. Did you really earn that? But it will be tougher than usual because of everything that's going on. So that's another good point by Austin Rivers. And I'm not the biggest Austin Rivers fan. I think he's kind of a prima donna sometimes. I think he kind of complains a lot. But this was a really good point. So my next news I have is an NBA player that's going to opt out is Victor Oladipo, the, one of the Pacers' best players on the court. He cites that his risk of re-injury to his quad after last season is a bit too high, so he feels like it's not worth it to be in Orlando. And I do respect that. Um, say what you want about losing money and salary and, and so forth. Um, Victor Oladipo, it will be a loss for the Pacers on the court, but for his own sake, I think it's a good decision. So the last M- NBA news I have on the day is Marv Albert. He will not be on the TNT broadcasting crew when the NBA returns. I don't. I think Ian Eagle might be. I hope he is. I love Ian Eagle. He is such a good commentator for the Jets and the Nets on the Yes Network. So Marv Albert, legend in this business. His son, Kenny Albert, is paving the same path. And if this is Marv Albert's swan song, he's been such a legend in the business of commentating, and I wish him nothing but the best. So now we will move on to the NHL. And – I got inspired by the healthy scratches again last week after them so eloquently describing the whole situation about the potential number one pick for the NHL 2020 draft in Alexis Lafreniere. And what happened was the NHL really screwed up because think of it as if you're a Red Wings fan, right? If you're the Red Wings, you are a team that won 20 games 
And you're saying to yourself, okay, that's fine. At least we get the number one pick. Well, no, you don't. Scratch that. Because the NHL decided the number one pick is going to a qualifying team that's going to be in the playoffs. What a bonehead decision this is. I don't like it. I think it's not fair for the teams that desperately need players and talent. You're, now you're literally just loading up a team. So imagine he goes to the Oilers. Imagine he goes to the Penguins. Like, that's just not fair. Like, it's unfortunate for the Red Wings for this to happen. And I think the NHL really screwed the pooch on this one. So they, if go listen to their episode 11 about what they said about Lexus Lafreniere and, and how the NHL screwed it up because it's so eloquently stated. And I'm just going to say the NHL pretty much screwed up here. I'm not going to go into how he is as a player and all those sorts of nature because I don't know too much about it. And it would be a disservice for me to give my opinion when I don't know too much about how he plays. So speaking of things the NHL did that is positive, it was reported by NHL Network's Brian Lawton that the NHL and NHLPA were almost done with the CBA. Well, Sunday night, the AP Associated Press reported the NHL and NHLPA finalized the CBA, and they're still working on the CBA extension. So, as for the CBA extension, it has to be approved by NHLPA Executive Committee, then voted in by the NHL players and NHL Board of Governors, then the NHL targeting July 13th for the start of training camp, It wants teams to travel to hub cities on July 25th, 26th. The cities are Toronto. So all in Canada, we're getting some Canada playoff hockey. That's what I'm talking about right there. Toronto is going to be the Eastern conference confirmed and Edmonton will be the Western conference confirmed. And they're trying to target the start date of August 1st. The Stanley cup final will likely be in October in Edmonton, the protocols, the players not penalized for opting out as we're seeing in all the other professional sports leagues. The players have until 5 PM, on Tuesday to notify teams of opt-out decisions. Family members can't join the bubble until the conference finals, and if teams will not comply to this, they may face financial repercussions along with the loss of significant draft picks. So everything here makes a lot of sense from the NHL standpoint. It's sad that America can't really find itself right now that NHL has to be in Canada, but good on Canada for keeping things really safe and secure, that playoff hockey will be in their national sport in hockey. So good on that. And it just took a while for Gary Bettman and them to finalize all of this, but it makes a lot of sense. And I'm excited, of course, to see playoff hockey because it's one of the best things to watch when it comes usually around this time. It won't be this time, but usually around this time, it's one of the best things to watch. So now we'll move on to some NFL news and we, it's not, it has nothing to do with on the field, but off the field in ESPN Studios in Bristol. We're going to debut a new NFL Live in August. It will be Laura Rutledge, who currently hosts Get Up, along with Mike Greenberg, as a host with Dan Orlovsky, who is an amazing game tape breakdown person, played the position of quarterback. I love him as an analyst. I think it was a solid choice. Second solid choice, Marcus Spears. Always has his head on his shoulders. Usually makes sense with what he says. Really good at really – like stating his points and and really explaining what he means. Third one, a really cool woman who hosted ESPN Daily, the podcast, and now is going to move on to this new role, Mina Kimes. You've seen her on Around the Horn. She's a big Seattle fan. She's really cool and and just really smart in every sense of the way. And the fourth one is the established veteran of the group, someone who's been with ESPN for a long time, and that's Keyshawn Johnson. They will all be analysts. And I love this by ESPN. I think this is the best – NFL Live we're going to be seeing in a long time. It actually will make me tune in because I haven't tuned in for a while because it's just 
revolving door of guests, and they talk about NFL news. And it's, just, it's your typical NFL breakdown show. And now I'm hoping that with this opportunity, when the opportunity knocks, ESPN executives open the door and they say, let's get creative. That's what I hope to see. So the second news here in the NFL will be the Packers have signed Jordan Love to a fully guaranteed deal. And I wish I did this podcast during draft time because I'm so critical of the Packers' decision-making during this draft. They're usually an extremely respected franchise and have very sensible scouting and decision-making. I cannot say the opposite for this draft. Like, they made no sense with their decision. They knew to get they had to get a wide receiver to surround Devontae Adams, right? Devontae Adams cannot do it all by himself. He is so talented, but he can't do it all by himself. The fact is that you drafted Jordan Love when you have Aaron Rodgers still. Even if he's declining a little bit, you still have one of the best quarterbacks in the game, and you were a game away from winning, going to the Super Bowl, a game away, and you traded up in the first round to draft a quarterback that you don't even know if he's going to be good or not. Oh, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. They didn't even draft a wide receiver. They drafted a running back, and they already have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Like, what, like, what are we doing, Packers? Like, what are we doing? Now we're going to give this guy a fully guaranteed deal, and he might not even see the field for three years at this rate. So whew, I, I think the Packers are really toying with Aaron Rodgers here, and they might not like him anymore or his attitude. Because Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, I, I'm not the biggest fan of his – off-the-field attitude, but on the field, he is a superstar, a bona fide superstar, and one of the best arm talents this game has ever seen. And Patrick Mahomes is kind of becoming him. So I don't know what the Packers are doing, man. And, and if this works out and this proves me wrong, that I will be the first person to say, you know what? I was wrong. I apologize. So now I will move on. And the NFL made some headlines this week because they decided that half of the preseason will be canceled and only two weeks will be played. The NFLPA doesn't want any preseason games, but I like this. I like this halfway in the middle of the NFL, and here's why. Because if you're an athlete, you need to get reps, right? You need to go onto the field, and you need to get reps in any way that you can. And if you don't get that preseason game, everyone's going to look so rusty, even if you do training camp drills and all that stuff. With COVID going on, you don't want to have as much contact with people as you normally would, right? So this makes a whole lot of sense. Two games, give all the players the reps they can. I know there's injury risk, but I think that significantly decreases with only two games as opposed to four. So hopefully coaches plan smartly and carefully and and make sure they put their players in, but not for too long, right? So I like this. So also the NFL is not going to hold the supplemental draft. That's just a news nugget I had in there. The next news nugget I have is extremely important. Because I talked about name changes, and this one picked up so much steam so quickly. And every year, we usually hear people who are like, oh, the Redskins' name is not good. It's really offensive. We don't really want to see it. And that's kind of like hearsay. But this year, it's not hearsay. It's for real. And here's why. Because FedEx, who sponsors the Redskins Stadium, who's and it's called FedEx Field, and puts a lot of money into the team, asked the Redskins to change its name. And then... Right after that, the Redskins released a statement saying they will go under internal review of the team's name. So it looks like we're getting a name change. And this is really significant. This is a really historical move because the Redskins have been around for so long. And now it's going to be no longer the Redskins. Will it be the Washington Red Tails? Will it be the Washington Bullets? I don't know. But what we do know is that their name is going to get changed. And so what a significant historical move that is. And I don't like how. 
it's they're doing it because of financial pressure from sponsors. That's essentially the main reason why they're doing it. It, it. Like you have to see that, but good on them for, you know what they're saying, you know what? It's time. We want to be a part of this society rebranding after what's happened to our country in 2020. And I, and I respect that. So Adam Schefter also said that the name change is likely. So that just adds on to it. And the last news nugget that I have for the NFL is that David Njoku, who was a first-round pick for the Browns, tight end, he requested a trade. And I was surprised by this because he maybe just doesn't feel like he's getting paid what he wants. His agent, Drew Rosenhaus, says he wants to be traded before training camp starts. So if you're the Browns, I would trade him. You can get some value back for him. Even though he had injuries and he hasn't really reached the potential you think he would, his first year he did really well. And if you're the Browns, you have a tight end who – has flown under the radar, but it's kind of put himself on the map in Austin Hooper, who played for the Falcons. So I would see what you can get for, for David Njoku. I, I would be on this if I'm Andrew Berry. I, I would definitely try to do this. I, I think it makes sense for them to try to get that trade done. So that is that for the NFL. We will move on to the Wolf Weekly NASCAR update as Jimmy Johnson, unfortunately, seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, tested positive for COVID-19. He is the first NASCAR driver to test positive. So Justin Allgaier, replaced him this weekend during the Indianapolis races. So I hope Jimmy Johnson gets well. I hope he gets back soon. It's I feel so awful for Jimmy Johnson. Everything he's gone through, he's supposed to retire this year. There is no way the way he wanted to go out like this. I'm sure he's going to come back. I'm sure he's going to try to race and, and kind of um, fly out to his swan song. But Jimmy Johnson, please get better. I hope you're staying safe and being healthy out there. No one wanted to see this. I, I feel terrible. So now on to the races itself. And we have the Xfinity Series race in Indianapolis. And in Indianapolis, we had Chase Briscoe. And I cannot say enough things about Chase Briscoe and how he's been able to race in the car with everything that's gone on in his life. Guess what? He won again. It was his fifth series win this season. He's also, on top of that, I, I don't know if you heard of it, but he's from Indianapolis. So that just adds some stakes right there to the situation. So the final five laps were insane because Chase Briscoe missed a turn. He allowed A.J. Allmendinger to take the lead. And then after more crazy shenanigans, Briscoe retained the lead and then now gets his fifth win of the season. And he said himself that he needed like eight wins to get into the Cup Series. He's well on his way to that if he continues to race like this. So Chase Briscoe just continues to impress me, and, and, and his story is great, and I'm going to continue to root for him because I, I am, excuse me, on his side. So next race that we had was the Cup Series in Indianapolis, and this was a race of crashes and chaos and delays and cautions. We had a weather delay. We had crashes. It was took about like four or five hours to complete this race. But once we did complete it, who came out on the other side was Mr. Kevin Harvick, who continues to dominate ever since 2020 restart for NASCAR. It was his second consecutive Indy win, his fourth win since the 2020 restart, and his second consecutive weekend with a Cup Series win. Him and Denny Hamlin continue to be head and shoulders above the rest. And speaking of Denny Hamlin, he had a chance to win again. And he, like I said before, he's never won a Cup Series championship. He came so close to winning this race, and he unfortunately, his car set on fire after contact with the wall. And Thankfully, he's, uh, he seemed okay during his interview, but uh, so unfortunate for him. I hope he gets well. I think he will. So that is that for my Wolf Weekly NASCAR update. And now we will move on to UFC as 
on Fight Island this upcoming Saturday, July 11th. It's going to be fireworks, to say the least. It's going to be so exciting to watch that. We were supposed to have Gilbert Burns versus Kamaru Usman for the welterweight championship. We are not getting that anymore because, unfortunately, Gilbert Burns tested positive for COVID-19, and he will not face Usman on July 11th. So the reported potential replacements were Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington. So what happened was is that people were like, oh, will Jorge Masvidal take this fight on a week's notice? Yes, he will, because he does not like Kamaru Usman. They had a bit of a kerfuffle in Miami during the Super Bowl. They, both of these guys seem like they really want to beat that crap out of each other. So ESPN's Ariel Hawani reported that negotiations between Masvidal and Usman are done, and I believe they're still pending COVID results, but the fight should be happening. It, it's most likely to happen, and I am so excited for this. Sometimes when you get lemons, you got to make lemonade, and unfortunately – Gilbert Burns tested positive, and I wish nothing but the best. And I feel terrible for him because to beat Tyron Woodley like that and to get this opportunity, you don't know when you're going to get it again. And I just feel so bad that just because of the act of nature, he got this virus. So all my well wishes goes out to Gilbert Burns. So that is that. And last segment of the podcast that I have been told is a mainstay segment it's called Rattle My Cage, which is usually a miscellaneous topic that you, the viewers, are not necessarily into, but me, the host, I am into. That, this week, we'll do another different variation, and I'm going to call it my tweets of the week. And I want to be creative with this, because let's have some fun. Let's just have some fun. Let's smile. Let's crack a cold one. Let's do all those things. So, the first tweet I had was, as I explained last week in my episode seven, as you can go check out if you search up The Wolf's Den on Spotify, I got an award because of a superlative that we had at my program's formal. It was called three plus one pride. And I will tell you what I was going through to do that decision-making. I decided, I'm like, you know what? Sometimes when you have a moment, you got to make that moment and you have to make sure that people remember why you got the award. So what I decided to do was kind of flex a little bit during the photo and then stand on top of the chair and, and kind of raise my hands and people go crazy. It, it was an amazing moment. So memorable. And I will go on my phone right now and look up how, how this, see how this tweet um, worked out. So hold on one second uh, as we, you, the viewers are patiently waiting for me. Um, this got nine likes. So I thank you for all the people that liked it. And that is my first tweet of the week. So three plus one pride professor Simon, who took the photo, the woodwinds. I think that's what the place was called. That was my tweet of the week. I hope your cage is rattled. All right. And now we will have my second tweet of the week. And, and I don't know if some of you who aren't into this, but essentially the uh, nuts and bolts of this are Barstool Big Cat. He created someone in the NCAA of the football game called Coach Dugs. And he has been playing as your my career coach in NCAA the video game. And it's been so entertaining to watch. He's really gone gung-ho with this. He dresses up in all the gear. He gets his buddies along with him. He has a coach called Gus Duggerton. He has a son of Gus Duggerton called Dilbert Duggerton. He creates hilarious names. He kind of goes through a season. And this has gotten so big that it has created accounts. Is actually interacted for a fake guy with real college football accounts. It's been sensational how much traction this has garnered. And... Big Cat might actually get a key to the city of Ohio for winning a national championship going undefeated with number one Toledo in the game. That's what the mayor said. Unbelievable stuff, right? 
So I decided on one day, you know, let's uh, respond to Big Cat because he actually appeared on Bar Rescue, my favorite show. I love Bar Rescue. John Taffer obliterating competency is what we're all here to see, right? And essentially he said, I wish I got residual checks from when I appeared on Bar Rescue. So I decided to reply and said, the fact that you got to call a drink straight up lighter fluid and eat disgusting chips with Chris Long definitely made your day. I, I thought it was just, you know, a passing by run-of-the-mill comment, but what I didn't expect was that this got 32 likes, one of my most likes ever for a tweet. So I thank you to all those people out there who I don't even know, who I don't even know I exist. But I didn't think it was that funny, but clearly you thought something of it. So thank you. And Big Cat, um, because of that tweet and because of Coach Doug's and because of Bar Rescue, that was my tweet. I hope your cage is rattled. So thank you people for listening. That is that. That will wrap up episode eight. Please be sure to follow at JordanWolf26 on Twitter, at JordanWolf26 on Instagram, at TheWolfsDen1 on Twitter for episode releases, at Peel6, my Snapchat. That's right. I put it out there. Also, thank you to the nurses because the virus, even though in where I'm from, normal life is pretty much come back to the forefront of our headlines every day in New Jersey, the Southern states, not so much. I continue to thank those nurses who continue to deal with this every day, going into these environments and, and doing the best that they can, even though we don't have a great equipped testing plan. And I hope we get there soon. I really do. But thank you to these nurses so much. All right. That is that. That will wrap up the episode. See you next week, Evo. I got a special episode coming for you on episode nine. But as for this, episode eight, finito. Peace out, Girl Scout. Woo!